Welcome to the National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio. Hope everyone had a spectacular weekend and a great sports weekend. Man, we have so much going on. NHL's going on, NBA playoffs. All the news concerning the NFL, college football, getting their guys ready. We are so packed once again here today on the National Football Show. I mean, we are wall to wall. We're going to be catching up real soon with the CEO of the Dallas Cowboys, Stephen Jones, and we're going to talk to him about this offseason, about the signing of Dak Prescott. Unbelievable news when it came to inking down the richest contract in NFL history. And speaking of our friend, we bring in Stephen Jones right now, the CEO of the Dallas Cowboys. He joins us now here on the National Football Show. You know, I used to say this all the time. We used to have some downtime in the NFL but no longer. Steven, how you doing, man? Thank you so much for doing this. Man, I'm doing great. Great to be on with you today, uh, Dan. And uh, can't believe we're, we're hard at it again. And uh, it's great uh, for Mike to be having his hands on our players here from, from day one. And our guys are working hard and doing a great job. Steven, I opened up by saying, you know, back when you guys initially bought the team in 89, I was in the building with you guys and. I used to remember there used to be some type of downtime for everybody to kind of gather themselves after the previous year. That's not like that in the NFL, is it, anymore? Well, it's uh, on the coaches. They don't really get it until here mid-June. They're off. They get about a month. But uh, And, of course, the players kind of get their time at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, they start usually start wanting to get back to work in uh, April. Um, I mean, March. And so uh, they get a little time there. But it's nothing like it used to be. Steven, take us through the process of inking down Dak's contract and the terms that you guys did. Was it the about the evaluation of the player? And I say this because I don't think people really realize what was going on while you guys were doing the negotiations. There was a pandemic also going on, and you guys also had to look out with your cap guy on what that was going to mean three years from now. Because, you know, hey, Steven, I love a Ferrari. But I got to send a kid to college. I got to pay for my mortgage. I'd like to have that thing in my in my garage too. But you know, there's things that got to be paid for down the line. Is that what it really was about? Take us through the process on inking Dax deal. No, I, at the end of the day, it was not about the valuation of the player. We had had our time with Dak and uh, there uh, with him, and felt totally comfortable with him uh, the first time around. It uh, really and throughout most of the negotiation, most of it was really uh, about the term and uh, uh, trying to figure out the best way, uh, you know, to figure this out because we wanted to time up long-term. Uh, there were uh, nuances about the golf and Wentz deal when we first attempted to get the deal done. And we were real close uh, short of us just not being able to agree upon the, on the term of the contract. Uh, Wentz and, and golf each had two years left on their deal. Dak had one. And uh, and so we were wanting to have Dak under the same amount of years as golf and Wentz were under. And at the end of the day, as close as we were, uh, it wasn't a money issue. It was more of a term issue. And then we moved into the second year uh, trying to get the deal done. And we were, of course, still wanting uh, a five-year deal. They were wanting a four. And uh, uh, But the other thing that unfortunately played into the uh, situation was the pandemic and what we didn't know as the as we were negotiating and this thing were playing out as we were starting to look at uh, 
you know, were you even going to get to play football at all uh, as as time progressed? And uh, that was, as we know, has affected and was going to affect the salary cap in a big way. So that made the negotiations even harder and made our desire to have a, a five-year deal even more so because of the unknown out there. And uh, it was never an issue of Dak and his value and what he was going to mean to us. It was, uh, it was term. It was uh, trying to deal with the pandemic and how it was going to affect the salary cap over not only last year, but obviously it's having an effect uh, because you're banking some of those uh, revenue, you know, some of the cap that we did, uh, we didn't let the cap go down last year. So we're, we were having to deal with that and work through all of that. And then of course, uh, you know, uh, it, it was once we got into, uh, really figuring out kind of how, uh, the cap situation was going to be felt good that the pandemic was going to play out. You know, it was never uh, going to be difficult to, in my mind to get Dak signed. And, uh, it's a zero sum game for us at the end of the day. We we're going to, as you know, we're going to spend every last nickel on the salary cap and it's just how, how we divide it up. And, uh, but there was never an issue uh, with us short of him just refusing not to do something. And we felt every step of the way Dak was really uh, very positive about being a cowboy. Uh, the only place he wanted to play was Dallas. So we never had any, any doubt that we would end up uh, getting a deal with Dak. You know, Stephen, I, I had a conversation with Dan Mullen, his coach at Mississippi State, and I'll tell you, I've fallen in love with him more even when he was sitting out, and I'll tell you why. Dan, Dan said to me, he goes like this, he goes, when I had him at a camp, man, this guy couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. And my strength conditioning coach came over to me and said, you got to sign this kid. There's something special about this guy. So Dan Mullen goes like this. I gave him a couple drills to work on. He came back six months later. And Dan Mullen said he could not believe the process that he had taken and how much advancement he had gotten. So they right. signed him. And then they then they saw the same progressions again. We're looking at a late bloomer here, aren't we, Stephen? We're looking at a guy here that this is a guy you want as the face of your franchise. And this guy's just going to continue and continue to get better and better because of that drive that he has inside of him. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, I've said it every step of the way. Jerry said it. You're dealing with a very uh, unique it factor with Dak. Uh, he's uh, uh, He is the Pied Piper. He's the leader of this team almost from the day he walked in the door. Obviously, once Tony got hurt, he stepped into that role, and, and the rest is history. And people, uh, you know, he just has a very unique way about him. On top of that, he just has uh, – insatiable appetite to be great. And uh, you mentioned his uh, what Dan Mullen had to say about him from the time he walked into the doors at Mississippi State, and it hadn't been any different here. You can't give him enough. And the guy wants to be the very best at what he does. He wants to win championships. And uh, we're just very fortunate to have him. And, uh, you know, he's, a, he's a, an unbelievable, uh, you know, on a scale of 10, he's a 10 as a competitor. Uh, he, he wants to win. The only thing we got to dial back a little bit is uh, uh, we got to keep him upright. And uh, as invincible as he, you know, he thinks he is, uh, you know, even you can have an awkward play like he had last year and he can get hurt. So he's certainly got to uh, be smart, which he will, uh, about when he decides to uh, make a play with his feet. But uh, uh, he's just a very unique uh, man, uh, a very unique leader. And uh, we think we've got the right guy to lead us uh, 
to Super Bowl uh, championships, if you will. Steven, will he be ready for training camp? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm convinced if we were going to play Sunday, he'd be able to go. Uh, we're certainly going to take a very conservative route with him. There's no need to put him in harm's way, but uh, uh, he looks fantastic out there working in the, uh, you know, in the uh, workouts we're having uh, out at the star. He's just outstanding and uh, there's no doubt he'll be ready to go. Steven, you mentioned the uh, pandemic. I'm wondering for yourself and for Jerry to, you know, build a roster, put the people in place. Everyone knows the NFL has to balance that salary cap. And the only way you're going to win in this league is if you're paying for special teams, defense, offense. How tough has that been for you guys during the pandemic, not just with the DAC contract, but to construct a con a roster in itself during the pandemic itself? Well, I Looks like we lost Stephen Jones here for a second. We'll see if we can reconnect here in a second here. I would say this to you here, that that's got to be one of the most difficult things that every single executive has had to um, do is, you know, get that and to be able to build that roster, knowing that the pandemic was going to take 25% of the salary cap away Make no mistake about it there. I mean, that was going to be an issue here when it came to constructing any kind of contracts that were going to be extended out. That's why you saw a lot of guys in free agency that were out there that were in their mid-20s because, hey, guys, you know what? If you don't have a balanced salary cap, and I've said this before to people, having that balanced salary cap is without a doubt one of the most important things that you could possibly need when it comes to constructing a, a, a roster. And you have to have that. I've always said that I've always thought that that was the secret sauce in new England, that the Patriots were able to, again, be able to balance that cap over those 20 years. They never had gigantic salaries on that roster. Even Tom Brady was always giving money back when it came to, you know, the roster so that they can go out and get offensive linemen so that they can go back into a scenario where they, if they needed a position, say on special teams, or they needed depth in their offensive line, there was no doubt that that was something that they were afforded because Brady gave money back and make no mistake about it. That was one of the secret sauces there. And that's what I was asking with Steven here was putting these rosters together like that. Make no mistake about it, man. I mean, that's how you construct him today. So, you know, when you're seeing all these names that are out there in free agency and you see Julio Jones or you see guys like that that are out there, you know, it's not just that quick where a guy can pick up the phone and go like this. Hey, I'd like to sit here and I'd like to go there and pick up this player. If that guy doesn't fit under the salary cap, make no mistake about it, man. You're not going to be able to sit there and Put that player on your team, and what it'll do is it'll hurt you in three years. How many times do you see teams that are in salary cap hell because of the scenario there that, you know, they front-loaded their roster. All of a sudden, they had to, at the end of the day, start jettisoning guys, and before you know it, they went through five years of bad football because why? They had five years of bad contracts on that team. So we bring our friend Stephen Jones back in here. And Stephen, where I was going with that is, is that, you know, the scenario was that, you know, when you're looking at it, Stephen, is that, you know, 
when you have a salary cap like that and you had this pandemic, that must have been very difficult for you, Stephen, to really put that roster together. Well, I, I'll start with it's more important than ever, and especially now for the Cowboys with the, when you have one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the league, one of the highest-paid running backs, uh, certainly a great receiving core led by Amari Cooper who's paid at the top, and, and then you take that veteran offensive line, which I think can be one of the best in the business uh, it's it's you have to it's a requirement that you have success in the draft and Will McClay with his staff has uh, just done an amazing job over the years of of drafting well who works so well with our coaching staff whether it's in the past or uh, now with Mike and his staff and I really feel like uh, you can see how important we think it is we took all 11 picks I know some people may have felt like we should have uh uh, used one or two picks to move up and get a safety or something like that. But uh, we we felt like it was important to take 11 picks. And uh, we think all 11 picks have a chance to make our team. And that would do so much for our cap. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I just think Dan Quinn's brought tremendous energy, uh, tremendous communication uh, with our players, with his staff. And I think it's going to make a huge difference on that side of the ball as well. So, so fired up about our team, but you're so correct that this uh, cap is, uh, you know, certainly uh, tight uh, after the pandemic and uh, certainly the effects the pandemic had on the cap. And uh, that's where you've got to uh, hit on young players. And uh, we think we can do that with our draft picks. Looking at the 2021 roster going into the season, I mean, Stephen, you guys build championship football rosters each and every single year. The fulfillment of the players and being able to run across the finish line is always put in their hands once the season starts. How do you feel about this year's Cowboy team and this Cowboy roster going into fall camp? Yeah, I just mentioned, I, I just think, uh, you know, offensively, uh, health is the number one requirement. I mean, we uh, look up out there and we see the guys who are out there in the first string huddle and you you look at it and you say, I can't believe we played last year without Dak Prescott, without Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins and Zach Martin. Uh, you know, that that's a difficult thing. And we still played some pretty good offensive football. But I think if we stay healthy and we have that whole allotment uh, of, of that crew back, whether it's our offensive line, whether it's Dak, Zeke, uh, the receiving core, uh, certainly had Dalton Schultz step up and we get Blake Jarwin back who missed all year with an injury. Uh, we think we can be one of the better offenses, if not the best offense in, in our league. And then uh, you look at the defensive side, adding Dan Quinn, uh, you know, we certainly concentrated in a big way in the draft on defense. I think those guys are going to make a big difference coming in here uh, to what we think's already uh, got some really good players on our defensive side of the ball. When you look at, uh, Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory and uh, uh, Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch. I think they'll they'll recover and work here with Dan Quinn and do a great job for us. So so we're fired up about our football team. Two last questions for you, Stephen. Um, you mentioned the defense and Dan Quinn here. Um, you know, tell me if you think I'm off base here when I say this. You know, when you go from a 43 to a 34, then you go 34, 43. Boy, that's just not that easy as people might think out there because personnel settings, when it comes to a three-man front versus a four-man front, if you don't have the four guys to be able to control a football game, you're not going to be able to control a football game. Did you guys get caught in the middle of that a little bit a year ago by maybe not having the edge guys to set the edge and 
you know, going back and forth in between a three, four, four, three, or my off base? I just think the big thing was the change, uh, and then not being able to implement that change in a normal off season. I think uh, Coach Nolan had some great thoughts. I think this day and time to just say you're just going to run four, three fronts, hides, evens, all those type of things. Uh, you've got to be multiple, and I think Dan's going to be multiple. Uh, I think we have good players. I think the biggest thing is just getting these players in here early and often and having those guys know what they're going to know, knowing what they're supposed to do so they can play fast. And Dan's reiterated that. it's uh, uh, You can already see it out on the field out there. They're communicating. You can see they understand what Dan's trying to get accomplished. Uh, they're moving around on, out on the field uh, at, a, at a great pace and cadence. And uh, I think that's the key is just making sure our guys know uh, what they're supposed to do. And uh, I think we've got the personnel now and got some good young players that we're going to be able to mix in there uh, on the defensive side. As you know, we had a defensive heavy draft. So uh, we just feel really good that this defense is going to take a, a huge step right back to where it was, if not even better uh, from a couple years ago. Last question for you. You know, there, there, there's no question that you guys each and every single year build this roster, as I said, you know, for championship football. I'm just wondering, after all these years, how much has changed for you guys going to work each and every single day? I mean, look, you've got three Super Bowl championships on you guys' resume since Jerry bought the team in 1989. Steven, I mean, it's been an iconic run for you guys, and the quest to win a Super Bowl has always been there for you guys. Just the passion that Jerry has to continue to do this. It just seems every year he's right there and he so wants this. It looks like he wants this title more than anything he's ever done before, even in the past when he set the blueprint on how you should do it at Dallas. Well, I said it a couple of years ago. I think the only thing he would have traded for that hall of fame was a Super Bowl, And I think he's genuine about that. I mean, this burns bright. It's been entirely too long uh, since we've bought a championship back to our fans. Our fans are simply amazing. Uh, we think we have the best fans uh, in America, and certainly uh, they stick with us in spades, albeit, uh, uh, and don't blame them, frustrating at times. Uh, but uh, uh, nothing uh, burns brighter in Jerry's belly or mine or our organizations than to win a championship right now. And uh, we're so fired up about uh, the group we have here, whether it's our coaching staff, whether it's our players, whether it's our scouting staff. Uh, we think we've got the right pieces in place. We just got to go take the next step and and, and get that winning uh, label going again. And uh, we certainly think we can do that. I mean, led by Dak Prescott, who I think has uh, got winner written all over him. Uh, he's certainly got got the it factor. And we just think we got the pieces in place. We just got to go out there and get the job done. Only place in the NFL 13 and three is a failure season. Steven, uh, I appreciate you uh, coming aboard. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if you're 13 and three, right, Steven, in Dallas with the Cowboys, uh, you man, that's a, a bad team. <laughs> well, you need to, we know what we need to do here, and that's win a championship. So uh, that's what our goal is, and uh, we're, we're going to go get after it. You got it. Thank you so much, Steven, for your time. I really appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Enjoyed you it. You got it. Steven Jones, our dear friend from the Dallas Cowboys, the CEO of – the Dallas Cowboys himself. Absolutely. You can see they're all fired up. They are fired up in Dallas this year because that's how that attitude in that building. I was in that building when they first bought the team, the Joneses. And it has never waned. Okay. They want this championship so bad because, and, and here, I'll say this to you too. 
And I'll throw this into the mix. You know, when, when, when you have a guy like Jimmy Johnson in the room with you, okay, at, at the beginning, and you win all those Super Bowls, you win those three Super Bowls. I know, okay, Barry Switzer, whatever, okay? Not dismissing Coach. I love Coach. And then you haven't done it for around 26 years. People do this, just like they're saying right now up in New England with Bill Belichick. You, you, do you really think that Bill Belichick is going to win another Super Bowl without Tom Brady? Hey, Brady, did he not prove it already? Okay, did he not prove it already that I don't really need Bill, but Bill hasn't proven it. As a matter of fact, Bill Belichick, if anything, okay, you, you, you kind of make him into this kind of figure. Well, he did like get fired in Cleveland because he couldn't handle the quarterback situation. So you're like, okay, can he, can he rebuild? And now we're hearing Mac Jones. I know Krause's probably going to turn off the broadcast here when I say this. That Bama quarterback ain't looking too hot up there. <laughs> Just like the guy in Miami. I don't know. Someone, hey, someone tells me about Tua. What do you think of Tua Tug of Viola in Miami? I go like this. I don't know. When I see Josh Burrow, I go like this. Yeah. Okay. When I see Justin Herbert in Los Angeles, I go like this. Yeah. When I see Tua, I go, I don't know. When I see Mac Jones, I do this. I don't know. We shall see, okay, if that plays out up there. When Jared Stinham has a better weekend than you, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hey, man, we got so much to hit on here. We're also going to catch up with our friend Blaine Bishop, the four-time Pro Bowler and All-Pro. He works with the Tennessee Titans pregame. Titans end up making a deal over the weekend. Julio Jones, speaking of Alabama, Krause's going, how's that guy not a Hall of Famer in your mind? He is a Hall of Famer. Julio Jones is one of the premier wide receivers during his decade, and that's what will get him into the Hall of Fame. That's what every single Hall of Fame voter says. Anytime you're evaluating a guy and whether or not he belongs in the Hall of Fame, so he is. The impact that Julio Jones will have on the Tennessee Titans will be what? We'll ask Blaine Bishop, former Titan himself, next right here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, 
grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio. Happy Monday to you. Just got through talking with Stephen Jones, CEO of the Dallas Cowboys. Still to join us in this hour here, we're going to talk to Blaine Bishop, one of the absolute great football players in Titans history. We will talk with him. He works the pregame show for the Tennessee Titans, and we'll get his spin on the upcoming trade here that the Titans have made over the weekend here. Um, Looks like a second rounder. For Julio Jones and him being added now to that offense, what will that mean to that offense going forward? Look, if you're Tennessee, you basically, and not to use the pun here when it came to just having our last guest on, but you got to keep up with the Joneses here. Kansas City is continuing to get better. The Chargers are continuing to get better. Everybody in the AFC is trying to run down, of course, Kansas City. And if you want to stay in that conversation, look at Buffalo, too. You can throw them into the conversation when you're talking about rosters as you prepare for the fall. I mean, Tennessee had to – they had to show everyone in that locker room that they're in it to win. And by the way, you're starting now to start to creep up a little bit, you know, in age here with Ryan Tannehill a little bit. I'm not saying that that window's closed for Mike Vables, guys, but I'm saying – you got Derrick Henry, and we all know this about running backs. Not necessarily just because you see the birth certificate. Does that mean that that guy may not be out of gas even when he's younger? Because some of these guys, don't forget, remember the guy Ron Dane back in the day who played at Wisconsin? He had all those carries at Wisconsin. I think he carried the ball for like over 350 times when he was there his four years or three years, whatever he was, the former Heisman Trophy winner. When he got to New York, and the Giants had drafted him in the first round, he had limited carries. 
which meant this. He didn't really have a long shelf life when it came for the Giants. And that guy never really fulfilled his prophecy. That's why I always say, when you get a running back out of college and he's had a boatload of carries, always be worried, man, because just like with your tires on your car, that tread starts to get worn out a bit. These running backs have so many hits with how many they're going to end up taking in their career. Hey, guys like Emmett Smith, guys like Barry Sanders, guys like Walter Payton, Adrian Peterson, those guys don't come around a lot. Guys that could carry the ball 300 carries a year, Eric Dickerson, another one of those players. Okay? You've got to make sure that when you bring a when you bring a running back in like that, you've got to make sure that this guy's still got some tread on his tires, and that is always hard to evaluate. You know, I've said this before to people. Evaluating the running back's longevity and evaluating the quarterback's ability is two of the most important things that a personnel director can evaluate when he's looking at two of the most important pieces outside your offensive line, obviously, when you're constructing an offense. Does my quarterback have the ability to be able to move the chains? And more importantly, throw us out of trouble if we get into trouble. How many quarterbacks in the NFL today can't do that? There's a boatload of guys. Guys like Patrick Mahomes, how many times have we seen Patrick Mahomes down by 20? Throws your team out of trouble. Lamar Jackson, is that a guy that could throw your football team out of trouble if you're down 21? I don't think so. Tom Brady, still at 44. Does he have the ability to be able to throw that Buccaneer team out of trouble in case they're down 21? That's why Tom went to a team that's loaded like that so that he has the components around him. Strong running game, good in the old line, talented wide receiver and tight end core. Brady knows that, hey, I don't know if I could throw us out of trouble. So now that you add Julio Jones to that Tennessee Titan offense, it's going to be very interesting because they've already got a wideout on that team that's a talented kid, and now you put him in, he's a 90-catch guy a year. He's a very expensive guy. However, salary-wise, you know, we talked to Ross Tucker two weeks ago about this. Because of the new salary cap and the new collective bargaining agreement, you're going to be able to defer a lot of this money out here. And you're going to be able to go back to the player, especially if the player stands up and steps in and he has himself a season this year, an impact year. Know this about that type of offense, too, in Tennessee. You don't really have to have a 1,500-yard year to have an impact in an offense that's got a running back that has 1,500 yards on the ground. Because the majority of the time in Tennessee, that offense is going to be run through that dude in the backfield, Derrick Henry. It's not going to be like through the arm of Ryan Tannehill. What Julio Jones brings into that now is play action. And when you bring play action into the mix now, that's got to open up the holes more, and you're going to see more, more running lanes, I think, for a guy like Derrick Henry. So let's bring in our friend, the former All-Pro with the Tennessee Titans. He joins us now, our friend Hitman. He is Blaine Bishop. Hey, Blaine, how you doing, brother? Hey, Blaine, how you doing, brother? All right, hopefully we can get this fixed up here and get Blaine back on the horn here and get us his thoughts here as that move was the big move over the weekend and has to be really something added into the mix here when it comes to how they're going to go forward here. We bring our friend Blaine Bishop back. Blaine, how you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing great. Can you hear me, Dan? 
I got you, brother. Loud and clear yeah, all the way from yeah, 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 my bad, man. I don't know what's going on with the technology, but you know that's what happens with technology, man. But I, I, hey, man, we're doing great down here, man. You know, the Titans are excited. Uh, they got Julio Jones, and, uh, you know, he's a phenomenal talent and uh, a specimen, and hopefully he has enough left in the tank to take them to the promised land. I think that's what they're thinking. They're putting all the chips to the table there with the Titans GM, uh, John Robinson and, and Mike Vrabel. Uh, that he could uh, turn the corner and help him uh, get past, uh, I guess, all the big shots in the AFC. And we all know who that is, the Chiefs. Absolutely. You know, Blaine, that's exactly what I said. I mean, you know, you're looking at the window right now when you have a guy like Derrick Henry on the team and you've got to keep in pace with teams like the Chargers, the Bills, the Chiefs. You add this component to an offense. What type of impact do you think Julio Jones brings to this offense? Man, you know, I, I think when you look at it, Dan, uh, when teams approach him defensively, and we're both on the defensive side of the ball, you know, now you you have the King Henry uh, in the backfield. You got Tannehill who's been a threat since he's been with the Titans. It's been fantastic. Then you have two receivers on the outside. Now who are you doubling, A.J. Brown or Julio Jones? I, I think you got to pick your poison, and, and you know if you can run the then you can throw it. So do you put eight men in the box, seven men in the box? So you have to really do a lot of unique uh, disguising and perception. You've got to have, you know, in the playoffs, you're going to have always probably pretty good corners uh, on the outside. But in the regular season, I think the Titans will have the advantage. Uh, but if you look at Vegas, and, I, and I'm just thinking like how Vegas thinks, how much has a receiver add to wins? Because there's so many things have to happen for the receiver to actually even get the ball. So does that equate to maybe giving the Titans one more win, home field advantage, or does it give them two, or does it give them any? Because we all know the quarterback is the one that changes everything. Uh, so Tannehill's a great quarterback uh, since he's been with the Titans and taking over for Marcus Mariota, great deep ball thrower and very accurate and uh, can run the football. Uh, so I think it puts him in the hunt to compete, hopefully, uh, for a Super Bowl. You know – were you shocked that the Titans did this? Because they don't look like big-time free agent players and bringing <laughs> giant guys into the organization, especially a guy with that price tag on him. Uh, no, there was talk, I think, probably here two or three weeks ago that that was going on, and it just kind of slow playing it. And, you know, that's when you start hearing rumors that they wanted a, a, a one, and I, I, don't, I wouldn't have given a number one. One, I, I said I'd give a three. Uh, I'm not surprised at all. I think this is a small market. I think people are underrating what John Robinson and what the Tennessee Titans are uh, today. Uh, and they are a team that's pushing the envelope uh, the, in the same sense. When Kansas City won the Super Bowl, the Titans beat them in regular season here in Tennessee. So they feel like they're not that far away. Uh, they needed a lot of upgrades on defense. They made those uh Moves with Dupree and Autry there, D tackle. Uh, got some young DBs going to grow up really quick with some veteran safeties. Uh, but they got to get a pass rush. I think Tampa Bay, as I picked them to win the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, they have the recipe to compete and beat the you know the Chiefs, and that's what the Titans' goal is. That's have a front four that can get after the quarterback and uh, have a middle linebacker that can guard uh, you know a high level uh, tight end, and then some DBs don't have to be DBs potential upgrades or guys that are going to be potentially Pro Bowl players, but some young, aggressive guys who have a lot of confidence that they can compete uh, with uh, elite, you know, wide receivers. Blaine, you know, you, you, you mentioned 
uh, Ryan Tannehill, you know, when I covered him, he was in Miami. I mean, he was so inconsistent. I was never a fan. <laughs> What's been the big change? Is it the dude behind him uh, or is it the guy in front of him? And I mean by uh, Mike Vrabel or is it both? Yeah. You know, I get that all the time when I'm, I'm talking to guys down in, in Miami and they like, they say exactly what you're saying. I said, hey, from the day he took over for Marcus Mario, and it was like in the Denver game uh, halfway through, he moved the team. And they were like, oh, the game was over. No, it was only like 13, uh, you know, nothing. I mean, it was, it was third quarter. I mean, there was still plenty of time. Uh, you can tell that he had command. It could have been his experience, what he learned in the past from Miami, what he couldn't and couldn't do, his limitations, learn maybe how to communicate with the receivers better. Uh, to make sure he stayed on stage. But as soon as he did it, he didn't even have a great game. He played just solid. I said, he's the guy because the team just looked different. And he can maneuver the pocket. He can manipulate the pocket. He can run as well as he has a great deep ball. And he's very accurate in tight windows. So you go look at his numbers. He may not have had a lot of wins uh, there in Miami, but go look at his actual numbers. He's thrown for, what, 4,000 yards, 3,000 yards. The guy can actually spin it. Now, it could be. The coaching, offensive coordinator, they just job better than the offensive coordinator. We all know about the relationships, as well as you got a proven running back, the King, King Henry back there, who's, you know, uh, the leading rusher the last two years and a 2,000-yard rusher. So that makes everything a little bit easier, takes a little bit of pressure off the quarterback. Now there's no excuses. He's got two bona fide receivers. Let me throw this at you, too, Mike Vrabel. He's – Plain, he's one of my favorite head football coaches in the NFL. I mean, I just love this guy's defensive mentality. He's barking all the time on the sideline. Yeah. I mean, players got to just love playing for him, man. It, that At least me sitting on the outside watching him, man, it just looks like that's a – I keep saying that to everyone. I go, dude, that's a dude I'd like to play for, man. Is, is that how he is around the players too? Yeah, no doubt about it. He's a, you know, he's a player's coach. But I, you know what I love about him? When you watch practice, they're still practicing on fundamentals of the game at your position. And you continually evolve and grow as a player, even if you're a veteran player. So I, I love the development, what he does. I think he had arrived the day that it was like Vrabel is that dude that's going to be the next great coach. When he beat Belichick with one of Belichick's moves, with the, the penalties on delay of games in the punt game, and now they've changed that rule when Belichick was doing it for years on end with that same rule, and now Belichick was pissed and, you know, pissed at the referees and calling them all kind of names, and then now they changed the rule. So that's when Vrabel, you knew he was a smart, intelligent guy who understood not only the game but also from a coach's seat. We all know being a player is different than sitting in that coach's head seat, and uh, he's done a phenomenal job. Uh, as a head coach for the Tennessee Titans. Okay, uh, your thoughts then going forward here as we get ready for the fall camp. And I tell everybody now, these 90 guys that you have, that you have put together on your roster, there'll be a couple free agent moves like we just saw here with Julio Jones. But these are pretty much the guys you're going to handpick when you get into the fall to get down to your 53. How do you feel about this roster going into the 2021 season? Can they compete for an AFC championship? 
I definitely think they're going to compete for AFC, uh, you know, South, uh, and then eventually to the Chiefs. And I think it's going to be the Chiefs. I keep saying it like I know what it is, but you know, you're you're building your team to beat them. I think they have a great shot. They they were really bad and poor on defense then last year, so they upgraded. So now you got Big Simmons and with Archery, and then you got Bud Dupree coming off an ACL. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see how he starts the season off because he's probably be just getting fully healthy. And we all know you now have to believe that you're confident that you can do the things you did in the past. They upgraded some secondary with some young guys. Uh, Caleb Farley's got to be healthy with a back injury out of college. Uh, so they're making moves to kind of, you know, push the envelope. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised they got some more depth guys. Uh, but as far as uh, frontline guys, I think they're pretty much uh, done unless there's an injury along the way. Uh, I, I like their tight end first or two as a – option guy who can wiggle out of Harvard, uh, kind of a, really a, you know, a third down or like slot receiver, but he's a tight end. So he's kind of a mismatch. So him and Reynolds, who they picked up from the Rams at receiver, who's going to be the third receiver, I think is underrated. And I think he'll be able to make some plays in Mercer with everybody keying on those big receivers, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and the King. Absolutely. You know, Blaine, I, I – I got a chance to go back and listen to that interview you did on Sirius, and I was really shocked about your background. I thought you were a big-time recruit. I thought you were like one of these four-star guys. I mean, four all-pro teams. I mean, you know, one of the legendary Titan guys. It's got to be one of the best journeys that – any player has had, but then again, there's so many guys like look at look at Jerry Rice, Mississippi Valley yeah. State. I never even heard of places like that, Mississippi yeah. Valley State. Just just expand on that a little bit for where you are now in that NFL career years. Where, I mean, you weren't yeah. really a four star or five star guy. Yeah, yeah, I can give you the Cliff Notes version of it there, Dad, and that is, you know, I was uh, all everything in high school at running back. I played running back in high school. And my coach told me I was too small to play Division One. I, I, you know, I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. I went to Cathedral High School, prominent high school, produced a lot of pro players, uh, the receiver for uh, the Redskins now, and, you know, went to Ohio State. They, they got guys all over the place in the NFL. So they have a history of guys in the league. And uh, since I was only 5'9", he said, hey, you're a Division Two level player. And I said, oh, okay, even though I made All-State, All-Metro, All-City. So I went to a school that no longer existed, just closed three years ago, in St. Joseph's College in Indiana. This is how <laughs> I went with a couple of buddies. Now, I could have gone to some other schools, but went there with a couple of buddies. Uh, and uh, that's why I ended up there. And literally, four games into my career, the Jets and the Giants were there to watch another player on another team. I forgot who we were playing. And after the game, I, I ended up playing running back, DB, return kick for touchdown, scored every way you know the man. And after the game, they told me that I was going to be an NFL prospect. This is literally not even months after my head coach said I wasn't a Division One player. So after the season, after I make Division Two All-American, I got to my high school coach and asked him uh, who's the president of the school uh, if I was a Division One player. Because that's all I wanted to do was play Division One. It had nothing to do with anything else. Not, I didn't believe I was like, oh, man, you sure to me? They're like, yeah, you're a bow lucky guy out there. And so he said, yep, you can go to IU and you'll probably – you know, get to start after a year. You can start at Ball State immediately or you can go to Indiana State, which he thought, eh, well, you know, the program's not really great but at the time. So I said, call And then I got to Ball State, and I literally practiced. At that time, the rules were different. Practice for a semester, 
uh, every position known to man. Next thing you know, I got full scholarship after one semester. Uh, and I started the next season and coach mentor, uh, Rick Minner was my DC. And I started there for three years at cornerback kind of boundary corner, which translates to a safety in the league. And, uh, and then I got a l- very lucky and fortunate. And when I got in the league, been a late round pick, you know, the eighth round two fourteen, which still exists today. Uh, and some guys got injured. I think yours truly, uh, Bubba McDowell was the actual starter. I was my goal was to make the practice squad. He got injured. He was a starter. Then the backup to him got, and then you know, now I'm running with the twos. And then that guy got injured when the season started. So next thing you know, I'm starting to safety and I started off as a corner nickel guy and special team guy. And then eventually I moved to safety and I was in the 46 defense with Buddy Ryan and uh, with Michael Barrow. We were the defensive leaders uh, there from the U who I'm still good friends with today. And uh, he says, you guys are smart football players. And in my defense, you got to be smart and headhunters. And that's what we were. And we went after it. I'll tell you, you guys did, man. That's a phenomenal story, man. And I love the journey when guys can, you know, just put naysayers away and just go, hey, look, man, yeah. 214, and I end up going on to become an all-pro. Blaine, you're one of my favorite people on the planet, man. You need me for anything. Call me anytime. Thank you so much for doing this, brother. I appreciate it. Go Titans. It should be a great year this year. No doubt about it, man. Anytime for you, Dan. And always say hi to the guys at the U. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Blaine. I appreciate it, man. That's my buddy, Blaine Bishop. We'll take a brief time out. You keep it right here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy Dan DeLeo. They've been just coming right after one another, right? Well, we're going to slow it down a little bit. Jason Cole will be with us. Our NFL insider here on the National Football Show will be with us in the second hour. So we'll have a chance to catch up with all the news going on. I just saw this as we were coming on the air that Nick Saban assigned a contract extension to the year 2038. Get this. There was talk this past year that Saban had had a conversation with his family about calling it a career after this last national championship. His daughter went on my Twitter, went on my Twitter feed and went like this, not happening. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. And she's like, we haven't decided that this is time for him to step away. So there's clearly a family dynamic here. And how long? That would put Coach Saban at around 77 years of age. And by the way, when you look at Nick Saban coaching, just like you do with Pete Carroll, do you go like this? That guy's an old dude. That, that, that's not an old guy when I watch Nick Saban barking at his assistant coaches and barking at his players. He's roughly going to average around $9 million a year through the year 2038. He's been averaging that now for over a decade. When Nick Saban leaves Alabama, he would he would have made over $120 million as the head football coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Why the F would you ever leave a college program to go put up with some stupid-ass GM or some NFL owner when you're making that kind of money? I mean, when they back up, Every month, the Brinks truck to your house to deliver your monthly salary? Where in your right mind do you come up with, hey, I think it's in my best interest to go coach the stupid Jets? Where do you think? Oh, and I love I loved the inexperienced news guy or the stupid-ass sportscaster guy. Well, this is, you know, this is the last, you know, challenge in his career challenge who wants a challenge that's like leaving a series like friends or cheers or seinfeld and go hey you know i'm going to i'm going to go on my own how, how many times have you ever seen those stiffs every time they dump out of one of those legendary series they they go somewhere and they bomb 95% of the time why in the world would you go like that i Hey, coaching on the college ranks today versus coaching in the NFL, there's more job security. 
if you're a big-time college football coach like Lincoln Riley. How about that stupid comment that was made by WIP in Philadelphia that Lincoln Riley was actually thinking of coaching the Eagles? I I, I remember telling um, Howard, Howard Eskin, I go, Howard, that guy's making $7 million a year. You think Jeffrey Lurie's going to go in there and pay that guy eight nine million dollars a year, and you don't know if that guy can coach in the NFL or not? You think that guy's going to do that? And get this: Lincoln Riley's got a tenure bonus. If he's there over ten years, they write him a check for seven and a half million dollars. Why would Lincoln Riley ever leave to coach an NFL team? Bob Stoops didn't. Bob Stoops made seven million dollars a year as the head football coach of Oklahoma. He. He got that 10-year, $7 million tenure bonus when he left because he was there like over 14 years. Bob Stoops made like $80 million as the head coach of Oklahoma. Why would you want to go coach the Lions? Well, it's a challenge. Challenge? Kiss my ass on challenge, especially when it starts to go like this. Hey, here's a great example about Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly was one of the hottest coaching candidates when he was at Oregon. I'll never forget. I was down in Tampa doing radio and his name popped up. They were going to pay him five and a half million dollars a year to coach the Buccaneers. He went like this. Nah, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to, I'm not going to coach the Buccaneers. One of the hottest coaching candidates there was, by the way, if you ever met Chip, he's a pretty decent dude. I like him. He's a Connecticut guy. We're all good. Okay. His time in the NFL just stunk because I'll tell you here in a second why. Then he gets the Philly gig. You're not going to put an offense like that in the NFL. You think you're going to have a, a fast-paced offense like that when you only have 53 guys on your football team? That stuff works in college, and you have an 80-man roster. You know, you got 85 guys on scholarship. You, you can afford to lose receivers and running backs because, you know, you're going at that pace. You lose two quality wide receivers in the NFL on your roster, you're hosed, especially in a high-paced offense like that. Plus, what do you do on the other end? He did this. He not only injured his wideouts, but he wore his defense down on the other side. And before you know it, you started flopping along there. You had no depth on your roster. You were not getting anywhere. And you gave him control of the personnel. That's why the Eagles right now are going, we're not giving any coach personnel control because of what Chip did. Now, that was the extreme. Chip got his guys hurt and wore his defense out all in the same game. You do that over 16 ball games. Now look at him. Gets the Niner gig. Then now he's, guess where? He's at UCLA. And when you look at Chip Kelly at UCLA, I'm like this. I don't know. USC was on probation for like five years, and you haven't done anything there since? Between Jim Moore Jr.'s failure and Chip Kelly, UCLA's not better? Wow. Yeah, well, when you have Nike money in Oregon, it's a little easier when your resources are there, and they're able to go out and do everything because they've got the kind of money that Nike puts behind that program. My point was, it was that, it was fool's gold when you were looking at Chip Kelly. Chip's a decent coach. Is he a great coach? No, because get this, he's not the best recruiter or talent evaluator. That's evident in his draft picks. 
When you see Urban Meyer, this is why we'll question whether or not Urban Meyer will be good in the NFL. We'll see. But I do think Urban is a good talent evaluator. But back to Nick. Nick didn't really fail at Miami with the Dolphins. Personnel department did. Nick told everyone in the building, hey, who's the best candidate for us to have a quarterback in Miami? Dante Culpepper, who was healthier, or a injured Drew Brees? You couldn't have found a man at the time to think that Drew Brees was ever going to throw the ball the way he ended up throwing it in the NFL. Nobody on the planet was saying that after he got hurt in that Kansas City game at the end of his time there in San Diego when he was with the Chargers. No one thought he was going – they thought he was going to be a backup dude. And quite frankly, Sean Payton, that fell in Sean Payton's lap because Sean Payton would have got Dante Culpepper too. The quarterback decision in Miami was the right one but turned out to be the wrong one, and it hosed him in the end. I believe he was 2-2 two and two against uh, Bill Belichick head-to-head, too, by the way, when he was the head coach of the Dolphins. Just think of how that would have been and how that thing would have turned out. If Saban would have got Breeze, and it would have been Breeze versus Brady, for all those years in the AFC East on how that may have looked, just a personnel move at quarterback changed that entire dynamic. So what does Saban do? I was in Miami when this all happened. I liked Nick. This is where I got my relationship with him when he was the head football coach of the Miami Dolphins. So he 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 got offered it because Mike Shula was falling on his face at Alabama. They gave it to a one-time quarterback of the Bama Crimson Tide. He just was not doing well. Nick's first year was not a very good one. I think they lost to Louisiana Monroe. Think of that for a second. Okay. Alabama under Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe in his first year. <laughs> That's like the Citadel. Louisiana Monroe. Not Louisiana Tech, which is a pretty decent program. Louisiana Monroe they lost. And then the rest is history. He's ripped off all these national championships, changed the dynamic, and he's actually put a statue right next to Bear Bryant at Alabama. I would make this comment to you that between the two coaches in my lifetime, and I'm going to take because I'm partial to Jimmy Johnson out of the conversation here. But who do you think has dominated the NFL, or I should say football more, Bill Belichick or Nick Saban? Okay, coaching in the NFL, okay? Let me say this to you. Coaching in the NFL, you got roster change all the time, but when you're coaching in college football, you've got graduation change every year. Guys leaving early, especially at Alabama. You know, we were just talking, Krause and I, before I went on the air, that Alabama's lost every single guy in that offensive huddle, including the play caller. You got Bill O'Brien now calling plays, which I think is going to be great. The former Tennessee Texans coach, or Texas Houston's coach, excuse me, Bill O'Brien, I mean, he did a marvelous job up at Penn State after the paternal fiasco. Now he's the play caller. At Alabama, he's making $2.5 million a year now as the play caller at Alabama. Bill O'Brien's going to do a sensational job as the OC with Alabama. And I'll make this point to you. I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama football is better offensively under O'Brien. O'Brien's problems in Houston were that they gave him the title of general manager. 
I mean, when Bill's a good coach, I don't know if he's a personnel guy. You get rid of DeAndre Hopkins, you think that's a good – I would have fired his ass right there as the general manager of my team and kept him as my head coach. You think it's in the best interest. You just gave Deshaun Watson $185 million bucks, and you just got the notion to trade DeAndre Hopkins? Why? We're trying to put assets around this dude, Hoss. I don't know. Unless that came down from Cal McNair. McNair. And they made him trade that. That never made sense to me. I think that Nick Saban has been the most dominant coach, and that includes Bill Belichick, over the last maybe 50 years in football. It's remarkable. Way to get that extension, coach. You deserve it. And, man, Alabama football is going to keep rolling. Roll tide. All right. What are they doing in Green Bay? I got a hit on that. Hour two coming up. You keep it right here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. 
There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back. Hour 2 National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio. Hope all are having a spectacular Monday. That was a power-packed hour. Blaine Bishop talking Tennessee Titans and the impact of Julio Jones. And Stephen Jones telling us a little bit of why that contract took so long. Pandemic played a factor, but it really came down to years and not the amount of money that was thrown out there. Dak's now the highest paid player in the National Football League, and the CEO of the Dallas Cowboys, Stephen Jones, made it very clear. Had nothing to do with the money. It had everything to do with the length of the contract. And Todd France, the agent for Dak Prescott, wanted a four-year deal, and the Dallas Cowboys wanted a five-year deal. So it came down to negotiating that final season, and they ended up consummating the deal, which is now the richest deal in the history of the National Football League. So hopefully you get a chance to listen to that interview. It was in the first hour, so do me a favor, please. Like the show, share the show. We really appreciate everybody being part of the show. And this hour, we'll put it all together with our friend, our NFL insider, and our National Football Show insider, Hall of Fame voter, Jason Cole, who, by the way, has a brand new book out, and I keep pimping his book right here about John Elway. Him and John Elway are dear friends. Yes, I'm working on getting Elway on. And my friend, Jason Cole, ended up writing this book like he has many. And we will talk to him. That will be at the bottom of the hour. All right. Let's get into some of the other news that's going on in the NFL here. So Mark Murphy, I'm not getting this. He's the president of the Green Bay Packers. Why you're using a public forum to think that you could, I don't know, bitch about Aaron Rodgers, complain to your fan base, um, like spark up hatred towards the player so that you get the fan base on your side? How in the world does that benefit anyone in that process by using the media and your fan base? You think you're going to guilt trip Aaron Rodgers back into showing up at mandatory minicamp tomorrow? The Packers have a mandatory minicamp tomorrow. Okay, And there's no way, in my opinion, that Aaron Rodgers shows up tomorrow, which will mean this. It'll be roughly around the $93,000 fine. Do you know what most of the people that are in the NFL are saying right now? Oh, this is really going to matter. $93,000. Do you guys know how much money Aaron Rodgers has already put in a trash can and lit on fire this offseason? He had over $500,000 in workout incentives this offseason if he worked out in Green Bay. He lit that on fire. You think $93,000 is going to cover half a million dollars in what he's already done? How dumb are you? So wait a minute. I'm going to show up to mandatory minicamp tomorrow. That's the date tomorrow for the Packers. And I'm going to keep the 93, but 
I lit on fire $500,000. Where, where, where do these people, do you ever read a contract? You see, what I do when we're talking about players and having arguments with organizations, you know what I do? I look at the term of the deal. I look at how much money they're making. You know what else I look at? What are their off-season incentives? I, for instance, for me, I, I've posted this on my Twitter page, at Dan Cilio Show. I had a $50,000 workout incentive. And as a matter of fact, I'll post that after the show on my Twitter page. I had a $50,000 workout incentive. This was back in 1987. If you translate that out to today's money, it's something like $120,000 or whatever it is today with the inflation. If I just worked out at the facility and showed up every day and worked out in their place, I got $45,000. I wasn't going to light that on fire. I was in Tampa the whole offseason so that I could get my uh, get ready for the season too, but I was not going to not get my money. Know this too. When I showed up to minicamp, I got an additional $7,500. When I showed up to training camp, I got another $7,500. If I played one preseason game, I got $5,000. $5,000 for every preseason game. There's incentives that are put out there that are in the contract during the offseason so players can hit these little bonuses that you have in the contract and a player can make extra money. Just think when the season ends, the players – see, the player doesn't make. Now, you can schedule it that way where you can make money for 12 months or you can make money for the season. Once the season's ending, you have to have bonuses that are on there for the offseason. That money gets put into your account. That's how I did it. I got paid during the year. I think it was $15,000 a game, something like that, $18,000 a game. And that was direct deposited into my account. But once those games were over, those 16 games were over, I had no extra money coming in. Now, if you play 75% of your season in plays, you got an additional $25,000 or you have all those. That's why you see, you know, people always ask me, and it's funny when you hear people even saying this. I'll get to Rogers again. I'll circle back here. I'm trying to explain to you how the player gets paid here. It always kills me when I hear people going, why are you not seeing that guy on the field late in the year? Why do you think people like Howie Roseman pull guys out of the final maybe three games of the year or one game of the season or two? Why do you think he does that? Because the player's probably coming up on a bonus or that if he played 75% of the plays offensively or defensively, he got a $200,000 bonus. Organizations if the team's not doing well, they'll pull you and they'll not, they'll have you as a non-act, non-active player that weekend. And they'll put you on IR and end your season. And you just get paid your salary, which is today's money is great. But all those bonuses you get, why do you think players get yanked late in the year in bad seasons? This is not because they want, you know, thing they want to look at another quarterback. Really? There was probably a bonus that was also tied to Jalen Hurts playing in that final game for the for the Eagles that he didn't get. Plays if he starts four games or whatever, he probably got an additional two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars. I'm thinking in my terms, probably three million. Okay. So 
there's all kinds of money that's going on, especially a contract like Aaron Rodgers' contract where you have $30 million on the table. That's not all going to be paid out during the regular season. There's off-season money that's involved in this, and he's probably thrown a boatload of that money away. So tomorrow's mandatory minicamp, no way he shows up. Media's like, oh, 93. I'm like, $93,000. He's already lost 500 grand. This guy's going to, he's already prepared with his age. He's probably going to lose $2 million in the offseason. And he's okay with that because you know why? Either the new contract is going to give him more money or he's going to be somewhere else. Now, know this over the next six weeks, they got to figure this out because you know why? According to the new collective bargaining agreement, and not many people know this, you go into a camp and you're a holdout or you don't have a, a player there, that's a no-show. It's mandatory fines. And you don't get that money back and a team can't just give you forgiveness on it. You will pay that fine. So they have to resolve this now. Because once he gets into the fall camp, they're mandatory fines. And that means $50,000 a day. So we're talking significant money on his salary. million bucks, these guys probably already agreed to this. This is why this thing's coming to a head now, okay? We're getting into big money time now because training camp is right around the corner. And I'm talking not this mini camp, this mandatory camp tomorrow, but we're getting closer to the fall camp. So what do the Packers and Mark Murphy do over the weekend? He throws this innocuous statement out. And he goes like this, Aaron Rodgers is dividing our fan base. Who, who flipping cares about the fan base? He meant this, Aaron Rodgers is dividing the Packers. What a misstep. I mean, the Packers, get this, this shows you even more how behind. Remember I told you these guys are still stuck in MySpace? And like C.D. Romville, we get letters every day from our fans. Letters? Who sends letters but old ladies and old men? Letters? People send emails, son, or text messages. Hello? Green Bay stuck in, dude, they're like Rip Van Winkle. These people are still doing business like Lombardi did back in the 60s. You got to get into the now, man. You need to hire some young people. Maybe Mark Murphy's past his time. Someone's got to get in there, and someone's got to be in a position where, get this, the Green Bay Packers are seen as a progressive team because right now they are not a progressive team. They do not hey, – it's one thing to be the Steelers, and it's one thing to be able to have conversations with – everyone in the building and letting everyone know that you'll be a Pittsburgh Steeler as long as you keep producing and you don't see the Steelers doing a lot of free agent movement either. You don't see them making a lot of uh, changes in their offensive coaching or defensive coaching staffs. That's because they're vested in their process and they believe in their process and their process is one. Green Bay over the last 31 years had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers and you got two Super Bowl wins and three appearances. I'm sorry, that's underachieving. And Mark Murphy's out over the weekend saying, hey, this guy's dividing us. 
That's how I, and I tweeted that out at Dan Celio show. I tweeted that out. I didn't tweet out fan base. To me, he's talking to Aaron Rodgers saying, you're dividing us in the building. There's people in the building that want to give you what you want, and there's guys like me who don't. And what you've done is you've divided us. You've divided the coaching staff. You've divided the front office. You've divided the personnel people. You've divided the board of directors. Oh, yeah, and since when do anybody care about the damn fans? Give me a break when it comes to making personnel decisions. Mark Murphy used the Packer fans as a prop. How stupid can you be? Man, you're trying to resolve this. You're doing everything in your power to resolve this. Now you're going in the media and you can't handle yourself. You don't know how to have a relationship with yourself. And you consistently trip over yourself. How is this in the best interest of the Green Bay Packers? That's how I, hey, by the way, Peter King thinks that Mark Murphy and the Packers and Brian Gunst is a great general manager. Look, they've been to two straight AFC or NFC championship games, and they're 26 and six over the last two years. Matt LaFleur is seemingly the right guy. But I would to ask you this. Yeah, dude, you think Mike McCarthy or do you think that Nick Sirianni, if he had Aaron Rodgers, you don't think those kind of guys wouldn't be 26-6 and in two years if you had Aaron Rodgers, one of the best spinners of the football? I mean, how dumb is that thinking process? Well, I I think this guy, Matt LaFleur, is great. Yeah, because Rodgers is your quarterback. Hey, Bill Belichick's one of the greatest quarterback guys that I've ever seen. Really? You thought that last year? Or you thought that in Cleveland? Of course you didn't. What's Green Bay doing publicly by going out there and... I I don't know, man. I just... It makes no... Well, it's starting to make more sense in this aspect. These, These guys really just don't know how to handle themselves. In public, and most importantly, they're not very good at relationships. They pissed all over Brett Favre out the door. They're pissing all over Aaron Rodgers, seemingly out the door. I mean, isn't this just standard and how they act and how they practice their relationships with um, their quarterbacks? They have never had a good relationship with a star quarterback and both of those guys are first ballot Hall of Famers, Farvin Rogers. Dude, it just makes no sense. It really makes absolute no sense. All right. Let's go back here because we had a big first hour here. Let's talk a little bit more about this Julio Jones move to the Tennessee Titans. And I was talking to Xander before we went on the air. Is he a Hall of Famer? I was kidding him. You know, of course he is. Julio Jones, um, you throw the ball anywhere near him, um, he is a marvelous talent. If I were going to compare Julio Jones to someone, I would compare him to T.O. Okay? He's great in the run game. And Julio had to be great in the run game. Why? Played at Alabama. This guy knocked snot bubbles out of people down down the field. When you have a running back and a wide receiver that play in the Nick Saban offense, Man, you got a block in the passing game. You got a pass probe if you're a running back like Derrick Henry or Najee Harris. 
and you, when you're in the passing game, man, you got to block down the field because the running game is essential at Alabama still to this day, even though they're spreading it out more. And Julio Jones knocked the hell out of you out there. He is great in that aspect. Michael Irvin was great in that aspect. T.O. was sensational in that. Knock you out down the field, and he would catch anything going across the middle. So what does that bring to a Tennessee offensive huddle? I think it's simple. It brings more toughness. And get this, Julio doesn't, Julio doesn't have to have 14 targets a game. Julio can have half of that now. But if they're winning ballgames, because let's put this out there, okay? What's the only thing on Julio Jones' resume now that could that, that could prevent him from making it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame? A Super Bowl title would kind of be the cherry on top of the cake here, right? You give the guy was up 28-0 and they blew a gasket in the second half versus the Patriots, correct? You put a Super Bowl title next to that guy's resume. Now you're in a conversation when you're going like this. Is he a first ballot dude? Okay. Then you start. I mean, if you think Calvin Johnson was a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I don't because of the limited amount of years he played, was he a Randy Moss type guy? Yes. Oh, and for the record, why don't we ask a Hall of Fame voter at the bottom of the hour, Jason Cole, if he thinks Julio Jones is a first ballot Hall of Famer? I'll ask him. He's one of the insiders that vote every year for the Hall of Fame. And I will pose that question to him. But he brings a toughness already to a tough-minded football team. That team, the way they run the ball and the way that offensive line and Mike Mukchek and all them dudes and Mike Vrabel, that is a rough group. And then you add him to it, physical at the wide receiver position, physical at the point of attack. They got to get better in the pass rush, like you heard Blaine in the last hour say. But that Titans offense now has done this. Okay, are they in the conversation with the Browns, the Bills, the Chargers, Chiefs? Are they there now? Hey, Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, Ryan Tannehill getting them the ball. One of the best offensive lines in the league. I have to think they're in that conversation now. AFC just got a lot better. By the way, if you're the Buccaneers now, you don't have to see Julio Jones twice a year. (laughs) Tom Brady and that group must be going. This can't get any better, can it? Just get rid of Alvin Kamara now in New Orleans and we're good. All right. We'll talk to our friend Jason Cole and get his thoughts on the Julio Jones and also what's going on in Green Bay. And we'll get his thoughts on Dak Prescott. It was about years, not the money. We'll do that all next. You keep it here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. 
Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio. Jason Cole, our NFL insider, Hall of Fame voter, will also join us here in a couple minutes. Did you watch the Logan Paul-Floyd Mayweather fight over the weekend? Here, let me let me say, it was 30 pounds heavier and, you know, like, what was he, 100 years younger than Floyd Mayweather? You want to hear something stupid? I bought the train wreck. What was it, 49 bucks? I bought the train wreck. You know why? Americans like train wrecks. Why do you think we watch Mike Tyson? Why do you think we clicked on how you see this? And by the way, I mean this in no disrespect to 45, but one of the reasons why the ratings were through the roof for Donald Trump for the news cycle, either with CNN or Fox News, is because Donald Trump was polarizing. Not talking politics here with you. I'm just talking polarizing people. Move the needle. You mean when, when you watch the Mike Tyson fight, you didn't know what to expect. Back in the day when you were listening to Howard Stern, people always said, hey, I just want to see what he says next. 
Why do you think Americans, when you're on the highway and you see a wreck, we stop and we rubberneck? Why do you think people tune into NASCAR four hours of going left all day and watching guys in the pits? Hey, that was a hell of a pit stop. You see that gasket in there? Holy cow, man. You see them four tires get changed? I don't know. That's not quite frankly a conversation that I'm sitting there going, yeah, man, you know what? I really think Jimmy Johnson had the best pit stop. Didn't you think that at Talladega? (laughs) You know, I don't know, but I don't know. Maybe some people love that stuff, man, but it's this. When's the big one? Did you see that wreck? Holy cow. I can't believe that guy got out and waved to the crowd. We love train wrecks in this country. That's what we love. We love train wrecks. And that thing on Saturday or Sunday, excuse me, was a train wreck. But get this, I pay for train wrecks. Logan Paul, by the way, get this, Mayweather's going to make $50 million off that thing. We love nostalgia. We love all that stuff. Why do you think you listen to your favorite songs over and 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 over again, or you watch your favorite movie? Over and over and over. How many times you watch The Godfather? 30 times? How many times have you watched Napoleon Dynamite? Okay, maybe that's a bad example. <laughs> okay, maybe that's not the best one, okay? But how many times do you watch your favorite movies? Everyone has things that bring them into a good mood. Music, movies, going places, watching things. And when you get a chance to see Floyd Mayweather... It's a recognizable name. He's 50 and 0 as a 51 and 0 as a boxer. And now get this, this was the ultimate Rocky movie. You gave some YouTube dude a shot at the title basically. You know what that title's called? The Money Belt. You could say whatever you want about Floyd Mayweather. Is he one of the greatest fighters of all time? Sure. His record indicates that and his resume dictates that. But what has Floyd Mayweather done? that no other fighter in the history of the fight game has ever done. You know what that is? Floyd Mayweather is the greatest money belt guy of all time. He knows how to generate money. Floyd's one of the greatest of all time. All right, so I bought it. Now, are we buying what Jerry Jones' son, Stephen Jones, said earlier on the program when it came to the length of contract, when it went to Dak Prescott getting signed and how this whole two-year saga went. By the way, my next guest has his book here, and I have it in my hand, The Relentless Life of Elway with Jason Cole. And our NFL insider joins us now here on the National Football Show. Jason, how you doing, brother? I'm great. What's going on, dude? Let me start it out with our guest we had today. Um, I asked Stephen Jones about what was the whole holdup on getting that contract done. And he basically said it wasn't anything to do with the money. It was all over the terms of the deal when it came to the years. And they were looking at the, they were looking at the uh, Wentz deal and the golf deal. And they wanted that extra year where France wanted a four year and the Cowboys wanted a five year. What says you on this whole thing? And do you believe that that was the holdup in this process? If you t- they tell you it's not about the money, it's about the money. So, look, it's how long do you get to control the contract, which um, allows how long do you control what the money looks like, right? 
especially when you're looking at the CBA, and this is pre-COVID, all right, and this is when a lot of the, those two years went, okay? In the pre-COVID world, there was an expectation that the cap would already be at about 240 to $250 million, but the COVID losses have held it back for a year, kind of kept it under restraint. So there's a feeling that there was going to be a big jump. There's still going to be a pretty big jump into 2022. It's just not going to be as large. And France, you know, Todd France, his agent, was saying, okay, look, if there's all this cap money that's going to be out there, I want to get my guy back to the table as soon as possible to take advantage of that huge growth in the cap. And this is where we're going to see where Pat Mahomes' deal is a great deal, right? I mean, you have to take that deal if you're Pat Mahomes. But if you know where the cap is going to be in about four or five years, then you might sit there and say, Mahomes could be like the sixth or seventh highest paid player within four or five years. Um, and that's, you know, th that's kind of a hard pill to swallow, but it might be true. But this is the difference between long-term contracts, short-term contracts, and all those other things. And, of course, the Cowboys seeing what the future was like, wanted a longer-term deal to keep the money under control. You, you, you know, Jace, I look at Dak's deal, and then I turn around and what you just explained with Patrick Mahomes' deal, that 10-year deal. Mm -hmm. Why do I come away thinking that Dak's got the better end of this because he gets out in the market sooner? You know, you're going to be able to see that market price. Like you just said, it's going to be up. Where Mahomes is kind of like in a house – with a mortgage on it where you got a mortgage rate there that's not really going to move around. I know Lee Steinberg, Steinberg, his agent, Pat Mahomes' agent, gave him some off-ramps to be able to go back to the table and they could guarantee more money if the Chiefs needed more to be able to go after an Orlando Brown, what have you, okay? But do, do I come away thinking Dak got the better end of this deal even than the Mahomes deal? Look, it's, it's just how you compare deals. Dak has a lot more risk. If you're going to take more risk and you survive the risk and you thrive through the risk, then, yeah, you're going to do better. OK, but that's the nature of taking the risk. Dak has already had one season ending injury, right? Well, you get another one of those along the way, and this is football. Then his deal doesn't look so good. All right. And Mahomes' deal looks great. Or you look at it this way. Mahomes has all this guaranteed money. Think of all the things that he can do with all of that guaranteed money up front in terms of investments and other things that he's going to do. So it's kind of six, one half dozen, but there's, there's a very good chance that in a short while, Patrick Mahomes' contract is going to look like, you know, I wouldn't say chump change. Let's not go that far, but it's not going to measure up with other quarterbacks who have done shorter deals. And it's just, that's how deals work. And, and, and people need to understand that. The deal that was just moved here in the last hours was Julio Jones uh, for a second rounder. And I think that's pretty fair. You know, look at the money that's owed to him, his age. What impact do you think he has with that Tennessee Titan team? If you're a defensive coordinator and you're looking at Julio Jones on one side and A.J. Brown on the other side and Derrick Henry in the backfield, aren't you saying to your guys, we better bow up this week. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, like you're sitting here, and your strong safety and your free safety are sitting there going, come on, man. Like, 
you better at least stop Derrick Henry at the line of scrimmage, okay? Because we don't want to be tackling that and have to tackle these two big guys, right? I mean, because they're you, you got monsters, and, and you know AJ Brown is is not as consistent a wide receiver as the others, but Julio Jones is as consistent as possible. He's going to get open all the time, and that means that AJ Brown is going to see a lot more single coverage from smaller guys. The whole thing just works for power football. And that's how Mike Rabel likes to play. He wants to play power football and they're going to wear people out and it's going to be like classic big 10 football, but with a little more throwing because the nature of the game is more, is more throw oriented. I would say this, I'd like to know who the nickel guy is going to be the nickel (laughs) wide receiver who that they put in slot and say, who's that little quick guy who's going to be running around. Cause that dude's going to get a lot of numbers. I mean, he's just going to be, single covered against some miniature cornerback all the time because the, uh, the safeties are going to have to help out on both the big wide receivers and, Jason, the, and, and the tight end. Do you think they're in the conversation now with the chiefs, the chargers bills um, in that room there where you see one of the top rosters uh, in the AFC? Do you think that those guys are in that room now, the Titans? Yeah, they're up there. I mean, I thought they were there before. Um, yeah. The difference is that their survival depends on Derrick Henry, whereas the survival of most other teams um, depends on their quarterback, right? And so their shelf life is is, is going to be shorter than the other teams because Derrick Henry is going to wear down probably faster than any quarterback typically wears down. That's just, that's just reality. I mean, it's like the New York Giants when they had Brandon Jacobs. Brandon Jacobs was terrific for a few years. And especially when they had a couple of running backs, you could take some pressure off of them. But as soon as he slowed down, you know, that attack was no longer the same, and they had to transition to something else. So what are you going to be when Derrick Henry finally starts to decline? You think Julio Jones has put a Hall of Fame resume together? I haven't really looked at it from that perspective. I mean, I, he's pretty darn close. Um yeah, the one thing I know that he doesn't have a lot of is, uh, you know, touchdown scores. Um, but he's got everything else in terms of the numbers to be in that conversation right now. Um, you know, a lot of it is postseason success. I mean, he's not the most electric guy in the world um, from a personality standpoint. Not that that matters, but it kind of raises it raises the bar a little bit. I mean, it didn't matter for Calvin Johnson. He got in foul first ballot. So I, I think Julio's up there. I just I haven't studied it because, uh, you know, as much as people love to talk about the Hall of Fame, and I respect that I am a Hall of Fame selector, and so I like to talk about it too, I really don't study guys before I have to. Like, it's, a, it's hard enough to f- figure out the guys who are eligible versus the guys who are still playing or might be on the ballot someday. How about this too, Jace? Is that, it probably keeps you away from falling in love with a guy now and clouding your judgment once the chapters are all written about a guy's career that, you know, you watch a guy and you fall in love with a player today, you know, you've been following him and, you know, marveling at his career. And then I, I love the way you do it because then once the career is finished and the last chapter has been written, that's when you get the book for the final go through and whether you're looking at it on whether or not this thing could sell or not. So I actually like your process. Yeah. I mean, the other side of it is you kind of look at it and say, you know, what if a guy falls off a cliff for the last couple of years of his career? But it, what yeah. is it 
I mean, Donovan McNabb for a long time. And this is before I was a, a selector. Um, but Donovan McNabb was on a trajectory to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Well, the last few years in the league weren't all that special. And I know that Donovan thinks he should be a Hall of Fame player. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not there. It's just not quite there. Okay, let me get into this and explain this to me. So over the weekend, Mark Murphy of the Packers, and you and I know this, okay, don't throw the fan base and use the fan base as props. When he's saying that Aaron Rodgers is dividing us, does that mean dividing us in the building, coaching staff, personnel department, board of directors? Who uses the fans going, he's dividing our fan base, and not think that that's not a prop? I mean – how can you keep missing public missteps like this if you're Green Bay? And get this. So tomorrow's mandatory minicamp. I don't think he's showing up because of this. He's already thrown in a trash can, Jason, $500,000 in off-season workout money. If he mm-hmm. was up there in Green Bay, $93,000 i am hearing that he'll throw in a trash can for not showing up to these mandatory um, minicamp. You know, training camp's a different conversation because that's a $50,000 fine. They're mandatory now because of the new CBA, and there's no <laughs> forgiveness. So these next six weeks, how do you see this thing playing out between Rodgers and the Packers? I think it all depends on how dug in is Rodgers to getting out of there. Right? And is he willing to make this ugly? And I know what Mark Murphy is saying. I think it's inconsequential. It doesn't matter to the process in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Um, yeah, some of the people on the, the Packers fan base are probably behind the team 100%. And some people are probably looking at this going, we've had the best quarterback in the league for the last decade, and we haven't done anything with him. And we know that part of this was Mike McCarthy's fault because he didn't do enough. We also know a lot of it is management's fault, whether that's Ted Thompson or Brian Goodkunst, who didn't get enough players around Rodgers. We feel what what Rogers is talking about, and we agree with what Rogers is talking about. Um, so, yeah, they're divided. You know, fan bases are always divided. Yeah, they would be divided even if everything was perfect. Okay, um, but Mark Murphy is not owning the fact that look, they created this monster. They did not respect Aaron Rodgers the way that they should have. They did exactly. Okay, I mean, we talked about this last. They exactly what Dan Reeves did to John Elway. They did exactly what Bill Walsh did to Joe Montana when he went and got Steve Young. Do you think that the starting quarterback is going to be happy about this? Now, maybe your part of it is, okay, he's unhappy, and we'll ride it out because this might get us a championship. You know, it helped last year, okay? They got farther than a lot of people expected. They, Rodgers played at MVP level. So sometimes pissing off your best player works. But it doesn't work long term because eventually he has the power and now he has the power. And the question is, how ugly does he want to make it? Because one thing about Julio Jones, to go back to that conversation, Julio Jones forced his way out of Atlanta. He made that happen a lot faster by saying, I'm out of here. That's all he had to do. He said, I don't want to play here anymore. I'm done. And they figured out a trade within less than two weeks. Chase, I'll tell you what I've done over the last couple weekends. I started reading the book to finish the book. And -hmm. I want to tell you what I learned about it. And you tell me if I'm on or I'm off base. As I was at the beginning of the book, 
I was reading about an egomaniac. As I got through towards the end of the book, I started reading about a hell of a teammate. And it just seemed to me that Elway and his process grew up as a football player and as a man as he got into the NFL. And it, it there were times that it humbled him. There were times that it showed him on how to be. He had all the great talents that we have ever seen with any prospect. And here's the book here that Jason has written here about John Elway here, A Relentless Life. Am I right when I say that? I don't mean to do too short-sighted here in any way, but that, that that's my synopsis taking away that it showed an ego guy that really knew how to became a great teammate with that great ability that he had. I think there's a little bit to that. I think that he's an ego guy who was always trained by his father and subsequently by other people how to get that ego under control and to be a great teammate. So I think that that progression is accurate, what you're talking about. Um, and that's just like any you know, amazing talent because we're talking about the guy who was the number one quarterback coming out of high school. He's the number one quarterback coming out of college. I mean, he's everybody considered him off the charts in, in terms of talent. If you go back and you talk to any scout who's been around the game long enough to go back to Elway, they will all tell you he's the most physically gifted quarterback all, of all time. Now, don't, don't give me the stats. I don't want to hear about the stats, Okay. What did you see? I agree. You saw a guy who's just freaking amazing. Okay. When you're that talented, when you can do things that other people can only dream about, of course you're going to have an ego. Of course you're going to think that you're a big deal. And all along the way, his old man is like telling him, it's the classic line, sweep the garage, you know, go, you know, go humble yourself. His buddies in his, in his dorm. Like, you know, you know, taking the, taking him down a peg. And he loved it. I think he, he really enjoyed it. And I think the one guy who didn't know how to work with his ego, you know, Dan Reeves, look, they had a lot of success. Getting a three, three, three Super Bowls is a hell of an accomplishment, even if you lose all three of them. But they didn't go over the top because I don't think Dan Reeves understood how to work with him as a football player. He worked against him as a football player. What kind of baseball player would he have been at the Yankees with Don Mattingly? I don't know. That's a, that's a really interesting question. I think he would have been an all-star, you know, like would he have been Paul O'Neill? How about Kirk Gibson? Would he have been something like that? Could have been, you know, I mean, Kirk's, Kirk's career is a lot more abbreviated than people think because of the injuries. And he was a football player as well. Um, I think that John's probably a little bit smoother athlete than that. And again, along the lines of a Paul O'Neill and that's minimum. And maybe he would have been an even better, you know, power guy if you get him in the Yankee Stadium. Who knows, okay? Um, I just think, you know, there's when you have people who are that driven mentally, they become stars. Somehow, some way, they become stars. Are they Hall of Famers? I don't know. But they become stars. And, you know, Drew Brees is a great example of a guy who he was going to do it. He was going to get every ounce of talent out of himself. Elway's that same guy. Peyton Manning is that same guy. Tom Brady is that same guy. All of those guys said, we're going to max out every ounce of talent out of ourselves. Jerry Rice is probably the ultimate guy when it comes to, I'm going to max out every bit of talent that I have out of my body and make everything that I possibly can out of myself. So that's where the, the fierce mental approach takes hold. And when you combine that with the kind of 
athletic skill that a guy like Elway had, you know, to me, you're talking about a multi-time all-star and maybe uh, maybe a superstar in baseball too. Who knows? Okay, so I, I gave you a, 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 a headline and a uh, title for our book, The Big Ragu, The Crazy Times of Big Sills. What do you think? Well, you really, I mean, I'm happy with that. I, you know, we could do that. No, 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 no. There's no, going to be no. a guy with a thing. No, 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 no. I, 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 you're right. I forgot. You know too much about me that I'd have to send Vinny Goomba to uh, where you live. Uh, yeah, no, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I'm lo- Dude, I'm losing you here. You got stuck. I'm all good, brother. Hey, Jason, all thank right. you, brother. Appreciate it, man. That's my friend. Right, Jason. I'll talk to you later. You got it, man. That's my friend Jason Cole. Yeah, we'll just forget about that. The big ragu, though, the crazy times of big sills. Eh, I like it. Let's take a brief time out to keep it here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huckenfot. What's that? Huckenfot. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. 
It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back to the National Football Show with your boy Dan Cilio. Power Pack Monday, huh? I know. Don't ever let anybody tell you, well, it's a downtown football season. Really? Does it sound it? I love those like radio guys. So this is the downtime in sports. You give me that time, I'll make a show. <laughs> Ain't that hard because you can go in any direction you want during the offseason. That's what we love. I actually love the offseason. And this is where you kind of like cut your chops here. Who can't do a show during the football season? It's the trick doing it in the offseason. Doing a, hey, watch this. Doing a Monday through Friday show in Philly or Pittsburgh or in Boston. I'm really, wow. Watch this. So um, do you think it's dark out or do you think it's morning time? React. <laughs> that guy sucks. You know what the themes are going to be in Philly, right? Oh, Jalen Hurts' success versus Wentz's. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God forbid that team gets out to a 5-0 and start in Indy. <laughs> and he's, like, leading the NFL in passing or whatever. Look at that! Wrong coach, too, man. Frank Wright should be... Yeah, it's going oh, to be great. I can't wait. But right now, man, come on. By the way, got an update. So last Friday... We had Steve Earhart on with us, the executive director of the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, who, by the way, was also the last commissioner of the CFL. Excuse me, the USFL. And I started getting inundated with emails from this spring football league and this Brian Woods guy's people. You know, we own the rights to it. And I'm like, okay. I'm not debating whether or not you own the rights, my friend. I want the USFL to come back. Your problem's not with me. Your problem is, and your Fox's problem, is with the original owners of the USFL. There is still a group. There's been no transfer rights. And there's something that's been filed on trademark that is not legal. Do you notice that you do not have any of those promos being run any longer on the USFL with Fox Sports? There's a reason for that. And that is because this now has put a little kind of like, you know, you know, hinge in the um in the machine here as it's trying to roll this thing out. There are roughly around 10 people, I found this out over the weekend, that still have rights and property rights to all of the USFL teams and the broadcasting rights and the images and the logos and the merchandise. You can't get around it. I'm not here to sit here and pick a side. I want football for everyone. More jobs for coaches, more jobs for players, more jobs for broadcasters. And just like Steve Earhart said, I want to make this very clear here. We're not in an adversarial relationship, too, on whoever 
owns the USFL. I just want the league back so everyone has jobs. And it creates more jobs for players, more opportunities for coaches, and more opportunities for broadcasters. Hell, I want to be involved in the USFL. Hell, I want to be involved in my boy Rock's XFL. I think there's conversation that potentially could have the CFL and the XFL doing um, a partnership together where both those leagues use their history of the CFL and the XFL, and they put all that thing to, you know together, tie it together. could be a nice package. There's no question that the USFL has more of a brand and has more where people understand what that brand is. So, you know, as of today, I think this thing is still up in the air on whether or not it's going to be rolled out. Like Fox was saying last week in the 2020 year, I, I, I really don't know if that's going to go down that route because, um, you know, there's still owners of the USFL that are out there. Okay. So we'll keep you updated on that story. And we talked to uh, Steve Earhart last Friday. And as far as he's concerned, Fox and the spring football league owned by Brian Woods does not own the USFL. So that story yet to unfold. All right. There was another story that, that came out over the weekend and it was up in new England. And it was about Mac Jones having a uh, troubled time in in New England picking up the plays. Why I'm going to tell you this is significant, because it pl- does play into Cam Newton. How many people think Cam Newton struggled last year with Josh McDaniels' offense? I do. I think he struggled. When you have a high-tech, high-technically constructed offensive game plan, you need to have a guy in there that understands constructions of plays. Tom Brady's the greatest in the history of the league at that. And when you have a guy in that room for 20 years and he sees basically this blueprint on how to build a computer, a car, an offense, and he sees the terminology in here, he's going to understand the terminology. I've said this before to people. You know what one of the biggest problems that rookies have when they show up to a camp of an NFL team? And by the way, Mac Jones struggling with the playbook, that's normal. That's normal. What Belichick is doing by saying that he's struggling picking up the plays and understanding what's going on, he's telling Mac, Mac, what you're doing right now, you've got to struggle to not understand here. Your struggles right now, you're not studying hard enough. You've got to put more time in. That to me is the problem. And by the way, he does. when you're at one place like Mac was at Alabama for as many years as he was and waiting to get his shot, don't you think he knew that Alabama offensive playbook that's Steve Sarkeesian playbook inside and out. You know he did. I mean, he could probably recite that entire Alabama playbook backwards from the last play to the first play that's in that book. All the technical terms, all the cadences, all the like hot colors, everything. You go and you have to take everything you've learned and put it over here. I've told people this before. Man, I was at a football program for three years at the University of Miami. 
And that defensive playbook that I had in my hand, I knew that baby inside and out. I knew what the linebackers were doing. I knew what the defensive ends were doing. I knew what the corners and free safeties and strong safeties were doing. I knew the entire architect of the entire book. I knew everything that was going on. I got to the Buccaneers. I didn't even know what they were saying when they said slide G. I was like, what is that? What, 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 what is that? Uh, what do I do? Man, the amount of studying that it takes to put your book away and to learn a new one, man, you've got to pick that baby up in seconds because the NFL is going to throw as much intel at you as possible during these OTAs, these mini camps. And hopefully by the time you get to training camp, you will clearly have it down. So when you hear a coach saying, well, he's actually struggling right now. Justin Fields um, is taking all the number two snaps up in Chicago right now. There's a reason that Andy Dalton's taking all the first um, first team reps. He knows the playbook better. It's not because he's a better player. It's just because he knows he, he knows the playbook. All right. Want to thank Krause, Cal, Big Joe. You guys are spectacular. Power Pack show today. We really appreciate everybody coming aboard. By the way, uh, don't forget, you can share and like the show. You can go over to the Jacob Media channel in case you missed some of it, and you can watch the entire show at your leisure. We'll catch you tomorrow going 4 to 6 Eastern time. You keep it right here, though. When you want football 4 to 6, it's right here on the National Football Show. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.